Welcome to Bite Size Jazz, a podcast with a taste of new albums and new artists, with new episodes coming out every Tuesday. You can follow Bite Size Jazz on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for previews and updates on all the latest interviews. I'm Stephanie Steele. Thanks for listening to Bite Size Jazz. Today's guest on the podcast is a singer from East Tennessee named Mandy Barnett. And her album, Every Star Above, was just released, and it was the last project that Sammy Nestico ever worked on. Yes, we're talking about that Sammy Nestico, the guy who composed, arranged, and conducted the last 10 albums by Count Basie. Well, it was really fun listening to the album that you did with Sammy Nestico. Thank you. Yeah, I loved it. And that's so cool that you got to work with him. I mean, that's is basically the last work he ever did. And he worked with so many people over the years. So I'm curious, how did that project come together? Fred Mullen, who's a very well-known producer, has worked with Johnny Mathis, Jimmy Webb, just a lot of, lot of great artists over the years. He started a boutique label called Melody Place. And he contacted me one day and wanted to go to lunch and wanted to discuss maybe doing a project together. And so we went through a different couple of different scenarios. And then he threw out, uh, what would you think about doing songs from the Billie Holiday album, Lady in Satin? And what if I could get Sammy Nestico? And I thought, oh my goodness, that is not only one of my favorite records, but I've been trying to think of a way to get with Sammy Nestico for the last 10 years. So it just seemed like one of those things there's a Yiddish word called it's it's beshert. And <laughs> this was definitely beshert. It means meant to be. And by the end of the day, Fred had already contacted Sammy Nestico and Sammy had agreed to it, he was like 95 years old, but he, he agreed to try to write a couple of songs. Well, two songs turned into four. Next thing you know, he's written six songs and and within a couple of months, he had the entire album finished. Wow, that's impressive, especially for 95 years old. I mean, had he pretty much retired at that point? You know, I don't know if someone like that ever really retires. Health problems come along and you deal with them as you go. But I don't think that you, you never stop being a musician. You know, I've worked with a lot of people, a lot of older people, musicians, and it doesn't matter their age when they are in their element, they become a young person again. And I think it was just a really beautiful thing to be able to do that with Sammy. And he, he really, really, he thrived doing the project. And that was a wonderful thing to see. He was so in his element. Yeah, the arrangements were incredible. I mean, I could even just listen to what he orchestrated and then having your voice on top of it was just fantastic. Well, he did such a wonderful job. I mean, it was just, he, he poured his heart and soul into it. Maybe he knew on some level that this could, could be his last project. Uh, but the arrangements are just incredible and, and really just wonderful framework for me to be able to, to give everything that I had too. Very inspiring.
How closely did you get to work with Sammy during the whole process? Well, I went in with a piano player and kind of gave him some demos of, of each of the songs to give him keys, um, sort of an idea of how I sing them. We talked on the phone. Um, he sent all the arrangements to me and I sat in my kitchen with a little PA system and practiced them for about two or three months. Yeah, and then later on, after we finished the, the album, I went out to San Diego and spent some time with Sammy and his wife, Shirley, and they were just oh, so incredible and welcoming. And Sammy mentioned that he would love to do something else together. And we talked about that, different, different songs that we could do. And it was just really a great, great meeting. It's wonderful. I mean, how incredible just to get to meet him in person. And was he there when you guys were doing the recordings? Did he give you any feedback on them? Because of his health, he was unable to travel, but we um, we put him on a Zoom call and um, he got to watch uh, a lot of it. And of course, he spoke with me and spoke with the orchestra. The orchestra, I will tell you, they all showed up very excited, knowing that they're going to get to play Sammy Nestico's charts. So everyone in that studio was absolutely jazzed and ready to go. The finest musicians in Nashville, Bill Schnee, who's one of the the greatest, uh, most legendary engineers recorded it and mixed it. And um, everyone was just so thrilled to be part of that project. I bet I would be too. I'm a piano player. And if someone's like, yeah, we're going to do Sammy Nessico, the new work by him, I'd be like, heck yeah. Yes. Everyone was just, was just thrilled. And, and everything that he'd written was beautiful. It was just, couldn't have asked for, for a more beautiful um, framework. And did he give you any feedback at all during the process? Like, was there anything that you learned from him while you were doing this project? Well, you know, he knew that I was, that my, my background is in country music. And so I'm sure in the beginning, he's thinking, well, I'm writing these arrangements for this country singer. And is she going to be able to, is she going to be able to pull it off? And so we talked and he said, the only thing that I ask is that you sing the melody. And, you know, I've, like I said, I've worked with some legendary musicians, um, even here in Nashville, and that's the one thing that they always appreciated is when a singer sticks with the melody. Don't take too many liberties until you've already established that melody. And so um, that was something that I really wanted to make sure that I that I had a handle on, because even though I know the the songs and New Billy uh, Holiday's uh, her interpretations of those songs are quite different than than the um, the melody that was written because she did take Billy Holiday. She could take those liberties, um, so that was something that that I really wanted to to make sure that I had a handle on the melody and that what I was doing would fit his his arrangement. And one thing you mentioned, you said you're a country singer, but yet you said the Billy Holiday album was one of your favorite albums. So obviously you're familiar. So let's talk about like your musical roots and where you started from and how you went into country, but you were still familiar with jazz. Well, I'm from East Tennessee. And so in East Tennessee, you usually grow up listening to gospel music, country, bluegrass, blues. Um, but my grandmother was into big band and jazz and the great American songbook. So that's where I first was introduced to those songs and singers. Um, 
So um, she would always be playing some of the, the big band uh, songs like uh, uh, You'll Never Know and Moonlight Serenade and, and that kind of thing. But then she listened to Nat King Cole and Sarah Vaughn and Ella Fitzgerald and um, Billie Holiday. And then a lot of pre-rock pop like Connie Francis and Patti Page, K-Star, Kate Smith. So I really fell in love with um, with those type singers, those big voice singers, and um, and of course the orchestrations. I love the orchestrations as much as I loved them. I love strings and and uh, just the beautiful framework, the lush the lushness of of those types of arrangements. And that's something that Billie Holiday, you know, when she made that record, that was what she wanted to to create is a beautiful album with lush arrangements that would sort of cushion her voice instead of just the big, you know, uh, uh, swinging kind of arrangements. Cause she'd already done that. She wanted to croon and do something really pretty. back no I listened to your album then I was listening to Billie Holiday's album and it was cool to hear you know the different arrangements with the original ones and then Sammy's arrangements and what was it like singing with a 60-piece orchestra and having all the you know the wall of sounds coming from behind you it is so amazing and I can tell you that 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 kind of sound is going to bring something different out in you as well just just standing there being able to watch it there's something about being able to do it live seeing everyone playing hearing them just it all happening all at once it's, it's just very very inspiring I would have been completely petrified had I not worked with um several symphonies in the past doing um I've done several pop concerts and it's, it is a very intimidating thing. It takes some getting used to. So I'm glad that I did have that under my belt before I went to the studio with not only Sammy Nestico's arrangements and him sitting there on Zoom watching everything go, go down, but the, but the orchestra as well. Talk about a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure, but, um, but I, I like pressure and I really wanted to, to make him happy. Um, so I just... I just did what he told me to. He gave me, you know, gave me some, like I said, some demos showing me where to, you know, where to enter when the, you know, after the intro and after the instrumentals and that kind of thing. So I, I wasn't just having to, to feel my way through the dark. I knew, and you know, I could anticipate all those things, but I think it's really important to be prepared because when you're in that sort of situation, you really can just sit back and relax and and worry about the emotion instead of the technical stuff. So that was a really great thing being able to to have that to to practice in my kitchen for the you know last couple of months and work out any kinks in my mind so that I could just enjoy it and sing. Yeah, when you have all the technical stuff down, then you can just let the music come out because you don't have to be thinking about all those little details. That's right. That's right. So that that was that was very, very beneficial. And, um, and that was, you know, when we met, he thanked me. He, I don't know if you have ever seen any interviews with him or met him, but he was so 
sweet. He grabbed my hand and he kissed my hand and he thanked me. He said, you did good kid. And he, he thanked me for doing my homework. And I just absolutely melted being around him. He was just the sweetest kind of soul and so unbelievably talented. It's just really a great, great experience and something that I'll treasure the rest of my life. I believe it. I wish, wish I could have met him. Too bad I can't sing like that. <laughs> Well, it, you know, go back and, and look at some of his interviews. You can just, he just exuded warmth. And, you know, the same thing, you can hear his warmth through his arrangements. You can tell what kind of person he was by the things that he wrote. I believe it. Listening to his music, it was just so beautiful. And you could just tell that there's a beautiful person behind it, you know, in terms of a personality. And uh, I'm curious, because we talked a little bit about, you know, being prepared and especially for a big situation like that and how it could be kind of stressful because there's a lot of pressure. Um, yeah. So do you have any tips for musicians out there about staying relaxed and staying focused on the music when you're under that kind of pressure? Well, you know, I was talking about working with a lot of old school musicians. When I first moved to Nashville, I was 17 years old and I worked with a lot of the, the great um, musicians that played with Roy Orbison and the Everly Brothers and Patsy Cline and Brenda Lee and a lot of the the, the iconic country singers of the day. And they always rehearsed. Like they, they never just took their talent for granted. Like, oh yeah, I got it. They were always prepared. And that is, that is something that, that I took away from them. I think that it's very, very important to know your music, know, be, be very prepared before you go out and do a show. Um, you know, don't wing it. There's just a, a lot to be said for getting inside the music and really nailing it. And so that's what I would say. Practice. If you're prepared, then you won't be so worried about it. Yeah, you can go out there and enjoy it. And you're not, you know, just flipping out the entire time, having to look at the chart and you can you can relax. Did you feel like it was a big change going from singing country music to singing this style of music? You know, the melodies are a little more sophisticated, um, but at the same time, the heart of the songs are similar. You know, there's a love loss, yearning, that kind of thing, heartbreak, hopeful, um, hopeful feelings about love. It's similar in that way. And I think there are a lot of country standards that fit very well into the Great American Songbook. I mean, they're all great American standards, whether they're country or whether they're they're pop. I just love singing a beautiful song, no matter what genre it is. So I walk a little too fast And I drive a little too fast And I'm reckless, it's true but what else can I do at the end of a love affair? It's kind of interesting because I actually like country music too. And so whenever I tell people that I like country music and I like jazz, they're kind of like, what? Like, <laughs> those are different. And I'm like, you know what? Don't judge me. I just like them, okay? <laughs> you know, Patsy Klein was... Um... You know, she was a country singer, but she was very much a pop singer. And had she lived, she died when she was 30 years old. But had she lived, she probably would have gone on to compete with Patti Page and Connie Francis and people like that. 
you know, they're not jazz singers, but they, they definitely kind of straddled that fence between pop and jazz singing the, the great American songbook. And you were in a musical, The Always Patsy Cline, as a teenager, right? I was. Yeah, I was one of the first um, jukebox uh, musicals. And um, it was at the, the newly refurbished Ryman Auditorium in Nashville. And it, I auditioned shortly after I moved here. And it was a wonderful experience. It was kind of um, uh, it was just fresh off the farm. And it was just really incredible to get to sing 27 of Klein's songs, all beautiful songs, um, and portray one of my heroes. You grew up not right in Nashville, though, right? So did you move to Nashville to pursue a musical career? I did. I'm from a town, uh, Crossville, Tennessee, which is two hours east of Nashville. But I was one of these kids that had, like, I had a record deal when I was 12 years old with a man named Jimmy Bowen, who ran Universal Records at, at that time. He was an L.A. guy who worked with Sinatra. He uh, produced Strangers in the Night and uh, Summer Wind and a lot of his stuff in the 60s. And um, as music started to change, he moved to Nashville and became the big record mogul of Nashville. And so he heard me when I was 12 years old. I was singing a lot then, started coming to Nashville, and he offered me a record deal. So from the age of 12 to 17, I was signed to both Universal Records and Capitol Records and recorded on the weekends, never released anything. But after, shortly after I moved to Nashville, I ended up losing my deal. And shortly after that, the Always Patsy Klein audition just fell into my lap. And so I've been going strong since then, doing live shows and recordings. That's pretty cool, though, to get a record deal at 12, though. I mean, what 12-year-old can say that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of an unusual thing. And at that time, it was kind of funny because they weren't signing young people, you know, like, uh, the last person that had, I guess, been signed at a young age was Tanya Tucker and before that, Brenda Lee. So it wasn't something that they did that often. And he was really quite unsure what to do with me because I'm 12, but I'm singing these songs about love lost. And my voice sounded too mature to, sound, to sing kids songs, but I was too young to sing about things that I knew absolutely nothing about. So um, it was really a, a beautiful thing because he gave me a great, great um, experience to be able to experiences to be able to go into the studio and record with some of the greatest musicians in LA and in Nashville and just become comfortable with rec recording. Yeah. I mean, not very many people get that kind of practice. So that's a really golden opportunity. So going forward, do you think you'll do more projects with the, that kind of music or do you think you'll uh, focus mostly on the country? Well, the country stuff is just part of my DNA. It's just something that I'm that I just do no matter what. I think I'll always continue to grow. I love experimenting with different genres. I, I totally plan on doing the Great American Songbook. I love the songs and um you know, I'm not sure what I'm going to do next, but I, I guarantee you at, at some point I will, I will do more of, of the songbook. That's awesome. Well, I look forward to hearing it. Thank you. We've been listening to an interview with Mandy Barnett about her latest album, Every Star Above, with arrangements written by Sammy Nestico. 
If you like what you heard, check out the rest of the album anywhere you stream music, or you can support her music by buying the album from Amazon Music, iTunes, or her website, mandybarnett.com. You can also check out more interviews like this by finding Bite Size Jazz on Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. And follow Bite Size Jazz on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest updates on all the episodes coming out. I'm Stephanie Steele. Thanks for listening to Bite Size Jazz, your weekly taste of new albums and new artists.